Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops-Tay-Swetmuk territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sewetmuk-Ulu. And today's text, The Ultimate Playlist of Noise, was shot in Syracuse, New York, which is home to the Haudenosaunee and the Onondaga. And we're talking about where it was shot because... It's a weirdly placeless film. (laughs) Yes, it's a road trip movie where we can't figure out where (laughs) the origin is. And you know, Joe, someday it might be interesting for us to talk about placelessness in settler YA texts. Oh, I like it. This idea of sort of like white teenage universality that doesn't have to orient itself in place, I'm kind of fascinated by. Or the assumptions (laughs) that like underlie that, right? Uh. Wow. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. So I'm immediately seeing the potential here. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Anyway, future show, future show. Today, we're going to talk about this movie, which is kind of a train wreck, kind of emotionally manipulative, and also kind of weirdly compelling. All of that very much. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And because we're just talking about a movie and for Canadian folks, we're sorry, we don't quite know where you might be able to see this. This was released on Hulu, Mm -hmm. uh, middle of last month. But uh, yeah, because we're just talking about a film, we're also going to use this as a bit of an update homework episode. So Brenna, do you have something you want to update the listeners on? I do. But Joe, do you remember when we were recording last week and you were like, next week we're going to do a homework update, but you have to pick one book to talk about. And I was like, okay. And you were like, just one. And I was like, just okay. And And how many are you coming back with? Only one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I want to talk about two books, but um, (laughs) here's the problem. Okay, so I got my pre-order of Concrete Rose last week, and I started reading that, but we're going to do an episode on that. So I'm not going to talk about that except to say it's so good. Okay. And then I realized I should stop reading that and read something else for the homework updates. And I had two great contenders, Joe. I have Darius the Great Deserves Better, which is the sequel to Darius the Great is Not Okay by Adib Koram. Mm-hmm. And then I got an advanced reading copy of Pumpkin by Julie Murphy. And oh, so it was wow. like a real Sophie's Choice week. And so what I ended up doing for a while was reading like a page of each and getting myself really confused. So mm-hmm. all this to say, Pumpkin by Julie Murphy is coming out and I will talk about it closer to the release date because I think it's not coming out till the spring. Right. Okay. And instead, I'm going to tell everybody that you have to go and pick up the sequel to Darius the Great. Well, the sequel to Darius the Great is not okay, which is called Darius the Great Deserves Better. It's really good. I'm only halfway through, but it's a nice, you know how sometimes with YA sequels, Joe, you don't get a lot of character growth, like you just get more of the same? Yes, I'm thinking back to our conversation about Dash and Lily. Yes, but here, because there was such an emotional arc to the first book, there's so much that changes in Darius's relationship to his father, to himself. Mm. The growth is inbuilt into the narrative. Right. Darius has his first boyfriend in this book. He gets the job at the much cooler tea shop. (laughs) And his relationship with his father is much repaired. But the backdrop here is that the whole family is really under stress because they're living with the financial ramifications of their trip to Iran. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. And so Darius's parents are like never home. <laughs> They're working crazy hours. And his grandparents have come to help out. His American grandparents, his dad's parents have come to uh, help out. Okay. And we find out for the first time that Darius's dad has two mums. Oh. Yeah. And in fact, Darius's one grandmother is a trans woman. And so it's interesting because Darius wants like queerness to be this thing that bonds him with his grandmothers. Right. But they're really standoffish and emotionally distant. And so oh. he's... Gosh. <laughs> After he repaired his relationship yes. with his father, then he gets these new family members yes. that he can't connect. Oh, poor Darius. <laughs> yes. But instead of it feeling like sort of a do-over, it really feels like Darius has all these new tools that he's testing out. I also, I'm only halfway through. I very don't trust his boyfriend. I'm worried. Mm -hmm. I'm worried. Oh. Oh, no. So we'll see where it's going. But it's very compelling, exact same voice, but with a lot of growth and change mm -hmm. already. And I think it's a really great example of how to do a sequel well, at least halfway through, I feel that way. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you sound so certain that I can't imagine something is going to rock the foundations of this book so much that you aren't going to end up loving it. Uh, don't scare me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I just can't imagine a well-written book from an author that you seem to greatly admire. I don't think the ball is going to get dropped halfway through. That I just seems not. unlikely. I'm very worried about this boyfriend, but I'll report back and let you know. <laughs> that is the mommest thing you have ever said on this podcast. <laughs> Hit me. <laughs> How about you, Joe? What are you going to tell us about today? Okay, so a quick update that I did finish Slay, which is the female video game developer book. And I will say it ended up being about a four out of five for me. I nice. really, really liked it. Loved the world building. Again, reiterating that game needs to be turned into something that real people can play. <laughs> It didn't end up having quite the cathartic ending that I wanted. Mm. The revelation of who is blackmailing her to try to bring an end to the game, it had a good payoff, but I wanted more of a confrontation with mm. this person. I'm not mm. going to spoil it because I still think the book is great and I want everybody to go and read it. But uh, yeah, Slay, fantastic, high recommendation. It's cool. And then I'm going to uh, give a quick shout out to a book that is dropping in February that I think is going to be up your alley, Brenna. Mm -hmm. So this is a book called Fat Chance Charlie Vega by Crystal Maldonado. Okay, great title. Yes. Okay. So here's the logline. Charlie Vega is a lot of things. Smart, funny, artistic, ambitious, fat. People sometimes have a problem with that last one, especially her mom. Mm. Charlie wants a good relationship with her body, but it's hard, and her mom leaving a billion weight loss shakes on her dresser doesn't mm. help. The world and everyone in it has ideas about what she should look like. Thinner, lighter, slimmer-faced, straighter hair, be smaller, be whiter, be quieter. But there's one person who's always in Charlie's corner, her best friend Amelia. Slim, popular, athletic, totally dope. So when Charlie starts a tentative relationship with cute classmate Brian, the first worthwhile guy to notice her, everything is perfect until she learns one thing. He asked Amelia out first. <gasps> so is she his second choice or what? Does he even really see her? Ugh, everything is now officially a mess. A sensitive, funny, and painful coming-of-age story with a wry voice and tons of chisme. Fat Chance Charlie Vega tackles our relationships to our parents, our bodies, our cultures, and ourselves. Oh my god, I love it. 
I love it. I love it. I love it. So this is out February 2nd. And once again, it is called Fat Chance Charlie Vega by Crystal Maldonado. Oh, okay. Putting that on my list. Actually, Joe, I do want to mention one thing about the Darius the Great books. Okay. I meant to say it last episode, and then I got distracted talking about how much I loved the book. And that happened again this time. But Mm -hmm. because it's not a critique of the book, but it is a critique of the cover design on both Darius the Great books. Oh, no. Are we talking colorism? No. Darius is fat. Like, it's something he talks about a lot through the book. And his own ability to see himself clearly, even after he sort of starts to... His body changes as he gets into soccer, and there's, like, this whole thing that goes on with it there. But he's very self-conscious about his body and it's something that you know at first it's a problem with his relationship with his father who doesn't treat him very kindly in that Mm -hmm. regard it's an ongoing conversation around the depression stuff because he feels like the medication makes it more difficult for him to feel comfortable in his body and like right anyway it's important it's an ongoing important component of the plot of both books that darius is not skinny Mm -hmm. darius on the cover of both books is skinny completely average build Hmm. and it bums me out because well for obvious reasons it bums me out right we have so few representations and particularly like we're starting to see conversations of fatness and girlhood yeah but conversations of fatness and boyhood are even more limited so the the fact that it kind of gets erased from the cover design on both darius the great books makes me sad Mm -hmm. yeah and i feel like this is where we start to get into a tension between the goals of the content and the writer Mm -hmm. and then the marketability of Mm -hmm. a text and what you know the publishing industry thinks people do and do not want to see totally and it completely shapes your picture of the protagonist what's on the cover of the book right like it took me three chapters of the first book to figure out that he's supposed to be fat because he's not on the cover and so it takes a while to unpack that expectation yeah 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 Mm. so It's a shame, especially because the book is doing such good and interesting work around like authentic storytelling and representation. It's sort of a shame that the design lets it down a little bit. Hmm. That's disappointing. Yeah. Sorry. I meant to mention it last time and then I forgot because I do love the book so much. It's way easier to talk about the things I love. So very fair. Yeah. Yeah. But Fat Chance Charlie Vega reminded me that actually this is an issue I have with the book. So there we go. Mm hmm. Hi there, my name is Marcus Lund. The music is my escape into something bigger than myself. It sort of made me the resident playlist doctor at my school. I really love sounds. <laughs> Small sounds, big sounds, and everything in between. Spoiler alert, sometimes things change. Because of the location of this tumor, you will lose your hearing. I just can't help but thinking about all the sounds I'm never going to get to hear. Plan was simple. I would road trip across America, recording all my favorite sounds before my surgery. The ultimate playlist of my- Holy s***! Oh my god. Oh my god. Hi. I'm Wendy. Head to New York. How long till we get there? We? Ooh, are those fun pills? What? Oh, no, they're sad pills. <laughs> Look at those eyes. What are you doing? This is illegal. I could totally go to jail for those eyes. Woo! So why a playlist? Watching people listen to it will be the next best thing to hearing it again. You ready? Okay, go. Yeah! Woo! 
life's worth of hearing crammed into just one month. Okay. All right, let's jump into this movie, Joe. Yeah, so I've got a description from the screener that we were sent. Go for it. So the film follows Marcus, who is played by Kian Johnson, an audio-obsessed high school senior who learns he must undergo brain surgery that will render him deaf. He decides to seize control of his fate by recording the ultimate playlist of noise, a bucket list of all of his favorite sounds. Once he sets out, he meets Wendy, played by Madeline Brewer, a wildly charming, struggling musician who is trying to escape to New York for her chance at a life-changing opportunity. Together, they check off his list as they make their way across the country until painful revelations force Marcus to face reality and his future without sound. Yep. Yep. And quick note, this is a first-time feature for director Bennett Lassiter. He's done a little bit of work on shorts. He's also the son of John Lasseter, former oh. head of Pixar. Right. <laughs> who cool. was ousted from the company under sexual misconduct allegations. Yay! Don't worry about John Lasseter, everyone, though. He ended up getting hired to run Skydance Animation oh. back in January of 2019. So he's doing okay. If there's one thing we've learned about the Me Too movement, it's that consequences are at best temporary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and I will also credit that the film is written by Mitchell Winky, and this is also his first feature. I think there's a lot to like about the film. Okay. I like that you're beginning with a positive. <laughs> I've been an English professor a long time, Joe. <laughs> this is an interesting topic for an essay. I felt oh. your thesis statement was strong. However, I'm so happy you decided <laughs> to approach this topic. <laughs> the film gets off on a bad foot for a couple of reasons. Yes. The entire premise is pretty ableist. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just died a little bit because holy crap, yeah. <laughs> like, the entire premise of the film is that his life is going to be over because he loses his hearing. And I don't want to in any way diminish the emotional impact of disability. No. But you can have those emotional beats in the film without setting up effectively the entire conflict of the film to rest on the idea that this is the worst thing that could ever befall a human being. Yes, and it's important to note that the film narrative, so the conflict that's teased in the description, ends up becoming about more than his impending deafness. Yes. So what Marcus discovers along the way to New York with Wendy is that there's actually a tape that his older brother, who is now deceased, recorded in a studio there, and he wants to hear the song that's on the tape before he loses his hearing. Yes. So it does shift, but initially it's very much presented as as my life is over to the point where we're casually making jokes about dying by suicide yes. because his life won't be worth living. They're not all jokes. Like there's at one point he thinks that his parents can only really understand him if they articulate that at one point he says, like, this is a direct quote from the film, that he wants them to just say that he should kill himself. And mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's reinforced so often. I found that really upsetting and troubling. Yeah, because it's not a one-off thing. It's something that honestly came up at least two to three times throughout yes. the course of the film. And then, in addition to that, we get an ableism twofer when mm -hmm. we find out, 
I mean, how much are we spoiling the film, Joe? Are we going to talk about the big reveal? I think we should. Yeah. So if folks want to go into this with uh, clear hearts and heads, then maybe turn us off and come back later. But yeah, we're going to spoil the twist. I'm using air quotes here about what really happened. So we're told at the beginning of the film that Marcus's brother, Alex, died saving Marcus from a fire. Marcus Mm -hmm. has a huge scar across his back that causes him a great deal of shame and trauma at school. Yes. And it's left over from this fire that happened when he was a child that claimed the life of his brother. What he finds out when he finally makes it to the music studio and gets the recording from his brother, and the song is all about fire, it seems to be suggesting... Mm -hmm. a kind of emotional breakdown that's connected to the concept of flame and fire. Mm -hmm. What he finds out from the music producer and a former drummer in Alex's band is that Alex didn't save Marcus from the fire. Alex set the fire at the house and Marcus was burned in the fire and Alex stayed inside the fire. It was death by suicide. Mm -hmm. And... There was a part that I found emotionally unpersuasive in the film, which is that Marcus can't fathom why his parents lied to him about it. He's very distraught. And I don't believe that like a 17-year-old boy wouldn't be able to understand why his parents didn't tell him the truth about that. Like, I found that really weird. Not that he wouldn't be upset about it, but the way in which he lashes out at his mother in particular over it, I found unpersuasive. Um, And what we find out, just to double down on the the ableism, is that um, uh, Alex had bipolar one, and this was sort of part of a larger constellation of sort of self-destruction that his mom and dad were unable to sort of extract him from. Mm Mm-hmm. And what his mother tries to tell him is that part of the reason they didn't tell Marcus any of this before is that they didn't want to destroy his memories of his brother. Like his brother is this hero to him, right? Yeah, what seems honestly like a very rational, very reasonable explanation, particularly from a parental point of view. Yeah, and totally something that you might have gotten around to talking about when your child was older, but maybe not when you've Mm -hmm. just found out they have a brain tumor and that their, their loss of hearing is imminent and they have other stuff on their plate, you know? Like, maybe this isn't the moment. Yeah, because it's very much presented that his parents, Marcus's parents, are very overprotective of him to the point that he has a very ridiculously early curfew. 10 p.m. 10 p.m. for a 17-year-old. So, of course, because the film is framed through Marcus's perspective, like we get voiceover narration from him and everything like usual, it means that we're not privy to a lot of those outside things. So Marcus doesn't know that. Marcus thinks that they're just being ridiculous with their overprotectiveness. Mm -hmm. And as a result, then at the end of the film, it becomes this big deal because Marcus never expected it. Yes. And again, I think there are ways to be, there are ways to express that, yes, obviously this would be a very painful revelation. Mm -hmm. Anytime we're asked to reestablish our relationship with someone who is gone because of a piece of information that we learned that is hard right right mm-hmm. but i found there's this scene at the hospital where i texted joe and i was like this is the most long-suffering mother we've ever dealt with and marcus oh, yeah. is an shit head because <laughs> <laughs> i texted you that right after the scene where they're in the i get it, i mean it looks like a prison it's a cafeteria room. oh yeah. is that what it is okay <laughs> yeah and they're in the hospital and he he screams at his mother she's 
saying that she was trying to protect him from the truth about Alex, mm-hmm. which seems completely rational, like maybe not the right choice, but a fully rational one. Right. And Alex is like, I guess you're not very good at protecting your kids. I was just like, what? why are you like this? I fully gasped. I just thought, oh, wow, that is a low blow. It's like the lowest blow. Oh. Now, I, I will say I didn't have the same issue as you. It's not a reasonable reaction, but it is a highly emotional reaction. And one thing that I feel like we come to learn over the course of the film is that Marcus is primarily driven by his emotional impulses. Yeah, it's true. He doesn't make good decisions, and it's because he's always making them the minute they come into his head. Yeah. So it, it didn't bother me quite as much, but I can understand particularly, not to diminish you as a mother, <laughs> but... Oh, I had a very mom I reaction. could see you putting yourself into her position yes. and just thinking, this is unfair. It is unfair. I feel like, I will say, to the filmmaker's credit, I don't feel like the film is unfair to okay. his mom. It, yeah, it's a character base where you're just thinking, yeah. no, son, yeah. this is not okay. <laughs> like, I think we all understand the choices she's made. Well, maybe I would be interested to hear what a teen reaction to the film is. I think Mm. as an adult viewer, it's impossible not to recognize the choices that are being made by the parents. But I I don't like him as a person. And that really got in the way of me liking the film as a whole. Like, I just... Yes. Yeah, he's very destructive. He's very destructive. And also, I feel like he has these two amazing best friends who support him through absolutely everything mm-hmm. and he kind of casts them aside in favor of manic pixie dream wendy yes <laughs> who i like the twist where she's just she's just a grifter basically <laughs> yeah like, but not a mean-spirited one just no, you know just a selfish she's one. really working out her own issues and she just happens to realize oh i can milk this kid for a ride yeah exactly like i don't think she's a bad person or anything but i just found like i don't know Marcus, to me, is a pretty unsympathetic character, like, across the board. And right. I'm not suggesting those are incorrect choices that the film's making, but it did make it hard for me to emotionally invest. Although the film is so manipulative emotionally that you'll cry anyway. Like, good luck. Oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah. So I definitely had this tweet thread with Brenna as I was watching it because I was very frustrated and then i got really angry by the ableism and the twist that alex after all of the work that the film had done to be you know suggestive that a life without music and sound isn't worth living and i just thought well that's a really reprehensible thing to Mm -hmm. to say and then to then double down on the fact that a character has actually died by suicide Mm -hmm. just seemed really irresponsible to me Mm -hmm. plus the fact that wendy is casually dropping the l slur which Uh, Again, it's the ableist slur, and I'm not going to say it because I really hate it. And it felt so irresponsible is the word that I just keep coming back to with a lot of the decisions that this film is making. Because I think I'm just going to interrupt you briefly here to say Mm -hmm. the film knows that it exists within the cichlid genre. Yes. He makes a, Marcus makes a comment about it being like a cichlid hero at one point. Like Mm -hmm. the film knows exactly where it's positioned. And so to do that without attending to what is ultimately in a lot of ways, casual ableism. Yep. You don't get to be in the cichlid genre and not pay attention to those things and get away with it. Like we have to comment on it. Oh yeah. We're going to come down super hard on you because- That's literally what you're doing, movie. And then you're weaponizing it, and it's not okay. So we're not going to let you off the hook for it. No. No. The gurney scene, Joe. 
The, right. So then my final text to Brenna <laughs> was, this film still got me. <laughs> yep. Because the film ends with Marcus having an epileptic seizure. It's one of the conditions if he doesn't take his medication. And it's why there's a ticking clock on him getting the surgery is he needs to have these tumors removed. And he discards the medication because he's so angry at everyone for lying to him about Alex. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a, a certain cause and effect, but he ends up ultimately making the surgery date. And up until this point, Marcus has been a frustrating figure. He's emotionally volatile. He's impulsive. And, you know, you kind of feel for him. Like, you sort of understand what he's going through. But then they put this teenager onto a gurney, mm -hmm. and you just don't feel prepared for it. And nope. he clearly has not been prepared for it because he's been running away the whole movie mm -hmm. and then he they start to wheel him away after his parents have said goodbye and his parents i should mention are played by raya kilstead that's the mom Alyssa. she's fantastic she's doing great work she's really really good and then the father is ian gomez who was just the most lovable guy he's from cougar town and he's a wonderful dad character and they don't give him nearly enough to do in this movie oh no there there can only be one parent with any kind of meaty role <laughs> so that goes sense. to the mom and he just cries in the background a lot yeah yeah <laughs> but basically they've said their their goodbye and they're trying to be brave for marcus and then marcus just erupts into tears he begs them to stop the gurney yeah Honestly, it's super emotionally manipulative, mm -hmm. but it's also effective as heck. It is. Absolutely it is. And the, the mom comes running and she holds him and she, they're weeping together. And it's mm -hmm. just like, I was so angry. <laughs> yeah, you're like, you know exactly what the film has done and you yes. hate it, but you're also unable to resist. Like you're bawling your head off and mm -hmm. you're inwardly screaming, you didn't earn my tears. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. But... I do want to come back to this cichlid categorization because, you know, we, we talked that we were going to be covering this. We did get a message from our friends at Seventh Row who kind of praised us for taking the hit because they couldn't watch it. <laughs> and part of this is that I do feel, in a way, if I could only show people one example of what YA is like, like commercialized YA. Mm -hmm. This is actually a really good synthesis of a lot of the issues mm -hmm. and a lot of the world building, the types of characters, even like the musical choices, mm -hmm. the font for the titles. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's very, we looked at John Green, we yep. looked at the success of Fault in Our Stars, yep. and then this is what we came up with. Yeah, we took Fault in Our Stars. And we took Nook and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Yes, and we mashed them and together. And we mashed them together. And actually, we just still use the word playlist because... <laughs> right, because sellable. Sellability. <laughs> like, I really felt this is one of the more derivative properties we've looked at. Mm -hmm. Just in terms of the fact that, yeah, it does feel in many ways like a... Remix. There's a checklisty to it, mm -hmm. isn't there? Like, okay, we've got music. Yes, we've got a plucky female character. We've got a sort of unlikable boy. <laughs> yep. And, you know, here's the thing. Joe and I actually love tropes. Like, mm -hmm. we make fun of tropes, but we're hosting a YA show. And Joe hosts a horror show. Like, we are not people who are inherently disinterested in the concept of tropes. In fact, mm -hmm. I think we're both really interested in what tropes say about the larger culture, oh, larger society. Yes, absolutely. What's frustrating to me when we see something like this is it's a repackaging of all the existing tropes that's not actually interested in saying anything new hmm. or doing anything interesting with it. Like, I don't know what 
this movie is for. Yeah, it, it's just, hey, we can make this movie and sell it to teenagers and they'll gobble it up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's cynical and I don't like it. <laughs> uh, fair, fair. Now, I do want to give this film praise in a couple of areas. And the number one thing that I would say, even if, you know, you've heard us talk about it now for a little while and it sounds terrible... I do want to give it props for the final scene when Marcus yes. wakes up following his surgery. Yes. And it's a very obvious choice in hindsight, but so effective. He wakes up and there's no audio. So yeah. there's no soundtrack at all. It's dead air for, I want to say, about three to four minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's so good mm -hmm. at showcasing what this new world will be like for him. I do almost resent the fact that we go back to a voiceover so that we can too. wrap it up with a tidy message and drop a playlist on a podcast that everybody then listens to. And that's how we end the film. But in those moments where there's silence, mm -hmm. I just thought, okay, this is a swing. And I liked it. Yeah, I liked it too. I think it would have been a lot braver to not revert to the voiceover at the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In many ways, seeing him, seeing Marcus rebuild his friendships in a world without sound mm -hmm. is extremely important to undoing the damage that the film does in the first, I don't know, hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> of this <laughs> hour and 20 minute film. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that if they had just stuck with that and trusted us a little bit more mm -hmm. to understand his growth without the final voiceover, I think it would have been a much stronger film in all. And I think I might have come away with it with a little bit less resentment about how disability is framed at the beginning of the film. Yeah. But instead, we are effectively told that even though he's learning to live with deafness, that meaning and understanding is actually only made through speech, right? Because we have mm -hmm. to have that voiceover at the end to understand him. And that made me sad. I think that was a cheap choice. And even the final montage, as everyone notices that this new playlist has dropped from Marcus, and they start <laughs> listening to it and smiling as they remember all the memories and listen to the sound effects. And you think, oh, okay, so for these people still, the only <laughs> way to actually experience anything is to then consume this playlist. It's not to try to understand what his deafness is like. No. And the only way to understand him ultimately mm -hmm. is still through Still sound. through sound. <laughs> Which is not actually growth. Yeah. Yay. Speaking of sound, Brenna, mm -hmm. I wonder, did at least the kind of musical elements in the film, like the montage bits with the road trip... And the fun experiences that he has with Wendy. Like, that that was what kind of got me through this. Yeah, you love a road trip. I love a road trip, but this is very much in keeping with, uh, what was that terrible Elle Fanning, Justice Smith one? Oh, um... Yeah, I don't know. All the bright something. Places. All the right places. All the bright places. It, it felt like that. Like, it felt well-timed. Like, yeah. I thought that the whole film was going to be just cutesy trickly kind of stops along the way to pick up sounds and it is that but it's actually far more expedited than i expected yeah. so it felt very tolerable you know it didn't work for me musically in the film what's that uh marcus is supposed to be this great connoisseur of sound right he makes the best playlists for everybody mm -hmm. his two favorite songs in the world wendy's mm -hmm. single and alex's single are just generic garbage. They're so bad. <laughs> it's always my problem whenever people say, oh my gosh, you're the most talented person I've ever heard. And you She's think, the most no. generic singer in the world. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're going to be so famous one day. And I'm like, is she? I mean, it's good, but it's not groundbreaking. She sounds like every independent female artist with a guitar I've ever heard. Yes. And I'm also trying to figure out what era it is that Alex was supposed to have lived in because... Mm. As our listeners know, I had a, a, a brief history as a cartoon voiceover artist. So I worked in a lot of studios mm-hmm. and nobody was recording anything to audio cassette in... Decades? Decades? Like, yeah. I mean, we didn't record electronically when I was doing it. It was like these special tapes, dat tapes. Mm-hmm. But like, I found that part really confusing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is Alex old school? So he didn't want it burned onto a CD or so weird. something And even else? if it was the original master tape of the studio, which is sort of the implication, like they find mm-hmm. it in the studio archives, it would not have been a cassette tape. And no. I just felt like that was a really weird kind of sloppy, strange mistake yeah. for a film that is allegedly all about sound culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, this would be on a dat tape. And I, I feel so nerdy <laughs> for knowing that. <laughs> Well, thank you for that deep dive. No problem. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I don't think we need to belabor the point. This isn't treading enough new ground to give it a recommendation. I will say the performances are good across the board. Like, we don't like Marcus, but I think Kian Johnson is actually doing a good job of playing him and trying to balance us out. I find Madeline Brewer just lovely in everything I see her in. I think she's a super talented actress. This isn't a great showcase for her, but she's doing the Manic Pixie Dream Girl in a lovely way. And if you haven't seen Bonnie Hunt in a while, she's a neuroscientist now. What is she doing in in here? What is she doing in here? An actress of that caliber in this thankless role? No, sir. (laughs) Her hair is so iconic to me. Yes. I don't think it's changed, has it? No. No. I love it so much. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah, she's a neurosurgeon now. Who knew? Yeah. That's where Bonnie Hunt, actress, went. <laughs> she became a neurosurgeon. <laughs> who also likes a crappy playlist at the end of the movie. Whole premise is kind of stupid. Yeah. Just because I think it could be fun. Do you want to do some <laughs> YA bingo with this? Sure. I wasn't sure if you were going to let us. I wasn't sure if we'd gone on too long. I mean, we have, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> okay. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay. What have you got? Ableism. <laughs> Shocker. Under the B, ableism. Under the B, manic pixie dream person. Yeah. Under the B, road trip. Oh my gosh, we're doing so well. <laughs> um, does coincidental classes count with his uh, sign language class suddenly becoming very important? I'm going to say no, but I will admit that the amount of times he was shown in those classes not paying attention, he's sure pretty good at sign language It's amazing because he was actually refusing to learn it prior to the mm-hmm. scenes where he suddenly knew it. Mm-hmm. What else do we have here? Good friendships. I really like his two female friends. Mm-hmm. I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out if they were a couple, but there's yeah. no confirmation. It was one of those things I think where the film's trying to code it without committing. Yeah, I thought so too. And musicality and montage, obviously. Obviously. Sorry, you go ahead. I've done a ton of them. Okay, I've got a hollow romance because it turns out Mm. that the romance he thinks is developing between (laughs) them is like not even there, which I did kind of love. I actually really liked that there was no love story here. I liked that a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's definitely a moment where she actually asks him if he wants to lose his hearing before he has ever made a woman climax and... That's a bit mean-spirited to throw on a teenage boy who is obviously a virgin. Yeah, it seemed, that seemed a lot. That seemed (laughs) heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. 
Let's see. We've also, I guess, got a dead body in the specter of Alex who haunts this entire proceeding. I think that's fair. Though not a technical dead body. A metaphorical dead body. Indeed, yes. Uh, We've got borrowed time because he has to complete Mm -hmm. this journey before his surgery. Mm Mm-hmm. And as well as a perfect date. And you can pick whether you would like to go with the swimming pool, the flooded roller rink, which uh, I saw in a review somebody got really mad at because if you truly appreciated things that are going out of style, you wouldn't flood a roller rink (laughs) because those things are an endangered species. Very true. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, I think that's all that I've got. Are we giving Bonnie Hunt a stunt casting? I mean, I feel like you want to. I want to. I love her so much. (laughs) (laughs) So despite all that, we still didn't get a damn line. (laughs) No, we didn't. We started off on a good... The bees were really giving it to us for a hot minute, but... This is true. Uh, No, we've we've got to change something on this board. There's a couple of tiles that are just not working for us, so... I wonder if there's like a software program that would scramble them. So we had all just the same words, but in a different order. Because I feel like the order is not serving us well. It's true. That's what it is. They're still good tiles, just not in the right order. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well... Brenna, where are we headed to next? I feel like we should talk about Book Club. So our next book for Book Club is, we've said it before, but Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. We'd love it if you would ping us and let us know if you're reading alongside or if you've read it before and have thoughts. Don't feel like you have to wait till you're done the book to jump into the conversation. We're happy mm-hmm. to chat anytime about it. Joe is going to start soon, I'm sure. I, I have it on my <laughs> on my pile. So yeah, definitely. Brown Girl Dreaming, Jacqueline Woodson. You're going to enjoy it. And if you've never read any Jacqueline Woodson, you're going to be glad you read this one. So that's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks. But yes. to get there, first we have to talk about another potential ableist text, which is Words on Bathroom Walls. Yes, next week. This is our listener request, Words on Bathroom Walls. Mm-hmm. It's probably good, actually, to pair with Playlist of Noise because it'll give us another perspective on how disability is represented. This is a mental health story, so take that into consideration if you're thinking about picking it up. Make sure that you have the bandwidth for it. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to talk about uh, Words on Bathroom Walls next week. Mm -hmm. I'm excited, Brenna. It's another Charlie Plummer text. Oh, for I was going to joke that we should keep track of who we come up across most, him or Catherine Langford. (laughs) just rename it the plumber langford cast right oh but maybe we would have to put in what's his name noah centineo because we've got another of his coming up shortly too okay but everybody's excited about the next ps i love you there we go and final (laughs) trilogy i'm kind of sad um yeah so that's what's up so pick up brown girl dreaming if you haven't yet and get started and let us know if you're reading along and Mm -hmm. words on bathroom walls will be our next full-length text next week yeah if you do want to talk to us about book club or anything else you can find us on our shiny new twitter account at hkhs pod we also do still check the hashtag hkhs pod and if you want to get in touch with joe on his own where do you find him <laughs> I am hey, at B stole my remote, and that's the letter B. I'm at Prentice C Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you have anything longer for us, of course, hkhspod at gmail.com is always open. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's it, Joe. That's it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I really, I'm really hoping for words on bathroom walls to be better than playlist of noise. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll find out next week. <laughs> 
Until next time, I'll see you on the page. <laughs> I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye.